Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Join us as we come. We're nearing the end of a series that we've been doing in Revelation. In fact, the chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. And uh, it's been a real joy. I've, I've loved sitting in Revelation. Uh, I know that Revelation is a little bit of a, a daunting book for many people. You hear it and it's kind of like, wow, that's, that, that, that there's a lot of weird things that go on in Revelation. I mean, Revelation does mean apocalypse or apocalypse means revelation. And sometimes when we hear the word apocalypse, we think of the end of the world, but actually it means a, a revealing and so what, what Revelation is, is a revelation of who Jesus is. So Jesus comes and meets with John, who's uh, on, an, on the island of Patmos. He's imprisoned first century uh, by the Romans, and he has this vision. Jesus comes and meets with him. Jesus says, write down, I'm going to reveal some things to you. You need to write them down. And John does and records them, and, and it becomes a letter to the early church. But what we're finding as we go through these letters, so the letters, seven letters, right at the beginning of Revelation to the seven churches in Asia Minor, what we see, what we read is these letters are not just for one group of people in one particular context, but actually it's an open letter. It's to be read by all the churches. Everybody gets to read it. And it's not just for the church then. I think as we're, we're journeying through, we're seeing that actually these letters are real for us today and uh, all the layers and all the analogy and all the pictures actually speak in a profound way to that context but we can also learn from it in our context today. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 onwards looking at the letter to the church in Sardis. The letter to the church in Sardis. So if you want to open your Bibles uh, with me or open your mobile phones. We're going to have the words on, uh, behind me and we're going to read together. And as we have been reminding ourselves, as we read this letter, this letter from Jesus to the church, to the churches, to us today, we know that as we take it to heart, we will be blessed. And so let's read this together. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 1 to th- verse 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels." Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't know about you, but I like sleep. 
Anyone here like sleep? Has anyone found it difficult this week with the rain just falling on the roof and the cooler weather and the gloomier mornings just kind of waking up and rolling over and just having a little bit more of a snooze? Anyone, anyone done that? To, uh, over, over the past few days. I've got to say that I, I like sleep. I'm one of those people who can sleep anywhere, anytime. I, I can just find a piece of carpet, just lie down and, uh, and fall asleep within a few minutes and have a great 15-minute power nap. Is there anyone else who does that? I am a power napper. I love sleeping and I can sleep anywhere. I remember I was uh, on a trip to Africa uh, a number of years ago and we were travelling uh, through the Rift Valley Valley in Kenya on project, and it was a, just a bumpy, uh, terrible road, a goat track really, in an old van, and we're bouncing around, and I was tired, so I just leant my head against the, uh, the window and just <laughs> fell asleep, and people took photos of it. It's like, I can sleep anywhere. I love sleep. Those of us who, who love sleep, and, and don't talk to Megan about this because it's still sore, but you know, I'm also a deep sleeper. And I don't know if you're a deep sleeper, but I'd, you know, when the kids were really young babies, uh, talking to Liz and Jono here, uh, you know, I'd, I'd wake up in the, in the morning and just go, oh, that, was a, that was a good night, wasn't it, Megan? And she'd be sitting up bleary-eyed and uh, there would be hate and daggers. Just happening. I, learned very, I learned very quickly not to say that was a good night, wasn't it? More like, oh, how are you? How work was that night? Uh, for those of you who do enjoy sleep, there is, there is something that's been gifted to us. Well, I don't know if it's a gift, but it's something that, that we rely on. It's a powerful tool. And if we didn't have it, I know that many of us, many of us would be in, in trouble. It's the, it's the small but powerful alarm clock. I don't know, some people don't need alarm clocks. I was talking to some people this morning, you don't need an alarm clock. I need an alarm clock. Can we just hear what happens? You know, I need this sound in the morning. You need that, you know, can I turn it up? We just need to irritate a few people uh, this morning. Or it's the iPhone. There we go. Or there's the iPhone digital sounds as well. You just have them. And what do we do? What do we do when the alarm clock goes off? We reach over and we hit a certain button. What button do we hit? The snooze button. Who this morning woke up and turned over and hit the snooze button? Okay. All right, if it's Sunday. You're just kind of like, yeah, we'll just, just we get to lie in. Not me this morning. Sundays is not a snooze. Well, actually, I do. Okay, I, I hit the snooze button regularly. Let me just find, let me just get, let's do a find out here. Who, who hits the snooze button once and then that's all, you know, some of you? Man, you guys, you guys are impressive. Anyone hit it more than twice in a morning? And just a bit of honesty here. Come on, if you just be loud and proud about it. Good on you. Three times, more than three times. Anyone more than three times? I reckon this morning I hit it about five times. In fact, I set about 10 alarms on my phone just so that I make sure that I wake up. I did some research just, just to kind of find a little bit more about snoozing and, and, uh, and alarm clocks. On average, on average, people hit the snooze button twice, twice. So you're a whole bunch of liars because the average says twice. Um, on average, people try and take an extra 24 minutes of sleep before getting out of bed. The average person sets two different alarms every day. 
This is a bit of a strange one, but 52% of people in the, in, the, in the survey they did admitted they would actually prefer it if they could still have their parents wake them up each day. <laughs> now, I don't know, that's weird. That is weird. But I guess, I guess you prefer to hear your parents come in and say, wakey, wakey, it's time to rise and shine, rather, rather than this sound going off every morning. Cue the sound, which is not there, but that's okay. That's a bit of a strange one. Ah, there, there we go, there we go. I, I hit the snooze button. <laughs> the timing, we, we, we rehearsed this meticulously before. And here's an important one. You know, two out of three people say having something exciting to look forward to helps getting them up in the morning. Two out of three people say having something exciting to look forward to helps getting them up in the morning. I think that's important when Jesus writes this letter to the church in Sardis because the church had fallen asleep. It had fallen asleep. It had lost its excitement. It had lost its wonder. It had lost its joy. There was no life in their faith to wake them up. And Sardis is a church that is asleep. It's a church asleep. And there's two reasons as we read this passage today, this letter from Jesus as to why Jesus identifies why they are asleep. The first one is that they rested on their reputation. They rested on their reputation. Now, it's really interesting if you uh, look at the story of Sardis as a city, you can see that this was something that sat over them. In, in the 6th century BC, during uh, the Greek Empire, Sardis was one of the great cities of the ancient world. It was one of the great cities of the ancient world. But by the time we get to Rome, you know, so we're now 600 years later on, Sardis had become a relic of barbaric warfare, as one historian says. It, it was a city that lived on its ancient prestige rather than its suitability to present conditions. It was a city that lived in the glory of its past. It was a city that lived on the reputation of its past. It rested on its reputation and reputations can be dangerous because it's easy to rest on them. And when we rest on our reputations, we become, we're in danger of becoming lazy. We're in danger of becoming lazy. Jesus says you are resting on your reputation. The other danger is that when you have a reputation, it's easy to mask the underlying issues. You become blind. You actually don't see what's going on. And Jesus says to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but really, you're dead. I reckon that's a challenge for us too, both individually and corporately. You know, I wonder whether we can rely on our own reputation. Oh, I've been a Christian for dot, dot, dot. I've been, I, I'm a person of faith. You know, I, I remember when I was younger, I went out on those mission trips. When I was younger, I proclaimed the gospel. I've done it all. You know, I, I've, I've been going to church all these years. I've read the Bible from back to front. I've done Bible in one year three times. I've even made it through Leviticus. You know, I, I, I've done it all. I've done it all that faith has to offer. 
I've got a reputation. We can rest on the faith of our past. We become lazy in our faith. We become blind in our faith. And I, I, I think it's a word for us as a church as well. You know, God's been so good to us over the past three years as we've planted by faith into this city. And we're part of a bigger church. As, as, as we know, we're moving towards a 100-year birthday as a church, as a, as a brand, as a gateway. And it's so easy just to, to rest in the, in the comfort and the, and the reputation of a bigger church. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus firstly says to Sardis, do not rest on your reputation. That's the first reason that you have become dead. The second one is you become comfortable. You've been com- become comfortable. It's really interesting that when we read this letter, and if you've been journeying with us, or you go back and read the letters, you see in a whole bunch of the letters that Jesus writes to the seven churches in Asia Minor, that the churches are being pounded. There are issues in there. They are being persecuted. People are dying. There are temptations. There are heresies. There are different ideas that are attacking the church. But you, when you read this letter to Sardis, there's none of that. There's no pressure. There's no, there's no challenge. And so as Craig Keener, who's a, a theologian and commentator, writes, he says that no mention of persecution against Christians is mentioned in such a city is significant. It probably reflects the secure position that the Jewish community, which rejected pagan worship, had, atta- had attained social standing and suggests that Christians shared this benefit of toleration. Lacking the world's opposition, they may have grown comfortable in relationship with the world. And as C.S. Lewis says in his great fiction, The Screwtape Letters, he says this, he says, prosperity, and this is the word of a senior devil to a young uh, demon, uh, if you enter into that world, this fiction. Uh, he writes this, he says, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. I'm just going to leave it there. It's amazing how, and, 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 and Jesus is confronting the comfort of Sardis, that because Sardis was comfortable resting on its, on, its, on its past, it had no pressures, the world had worked its way into their faith, when really our faith should be working its way into the world. Prosperity, as C.S. Lewis calls it, comfort stops us from being alive, from being alive. And I reckon that's a challenge for us as it was for the church inside us. You know, we don't really have too much persecution. Yes, there is some pressure and, and maybe that will increase. But in real terms, there are, we do not wake up in the morning worrying about being a Christian and what that means for the day. We have so much We have access to so much. We have so much wealth. We are one of the wealthiest nations in the world by any metric, any scale. We have so much and in that it's so easy to rest. And when we rest, we don't have need. We don't have worries. We don't have pressures. We are not reliant day to day on our faith and on God. And so we become, as Pink Floyd sings, comfortably numb comfortably numb 
See, reputation and comfort equals apathy. And apathy robs us of excitement and joy and sends us to sleep. Sardis had become apathetic. And so Jesus says to the church in Sardis, he says, wake up, wake up. He's saying to the church, if you snooze, you lose. Actually, he says, you die. (laughs) You snooze, you lose. You snooze, you die. When I was in my early 20s and I was still living at home, I, um, I remember coming home from church one morning. And uh, back in the day when we were growing up, we had this rhythm and routine like I think many families did on Sunday. We would go to church in the morning and then we would come home and have a big roast. And then we'd have a Sunday afternoon nap. And, you know, all the kids would be, we'd all be forced to go and have a nap on Sunday afternoon. Uh, did anyone else kind of grow up doing that? A few of the, few of the more, you know, mature of us. Anyway, uh, that, was, that was our family routine. But in my 20s, I, I, I'm sure I was out on Saturday night and so uh, got home late. And so I was exhausted up early to go to church. So I came home and uh, after church and I was exhausted. So instead of waiting till lunch to have a nap, I had my nap before lunch. And I remember just, just I, I do remember this vividly. I, I, because uh, I often had naps before lunch. Um, I remember waking up, and I think I'd been asleep for about an hour. And you know, if you if you're asleep for an hour, you've gone into deep REM kind of. You're, and I remember my brother coming to wake me up to bring me up to lunch. And when you when you're in that groggy state, you don't think straight. And I wasn't thinking straight. And so I thought, hey, it would be really funny if I just ran out of the room now and, and got out so that when my brother came, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not there. Wouldn't that be funny? Like, I was just like, no, that's not, there's, there's nothing about that that's funny. But at the, in the moment, I thought, that's what I'm going to do. So I got up and I ran out of, the, out of my room and around into the hallway. And then I realised I had a problem because I'd been lying on my arm for the last hour. And you know what happens when you lie on your arm or you sit on your leg or your hand? You know what happens? You lose all control. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever freaked out when you go, ah, ah, I've, I've lost my arm, it's gone. Anyone, anyone is that just me? I'm just, I feel very vulnerable right now. Well, that's what happened to me. And then the pins and needles come. Oh, it's horrible. Anyway, I realise as I'm running around the door into the hallway, I have no control of my arm. And I run around and I absolutely clock a door handle, smashing my hand. I, abs- I snapped my fourth metacarpal. Is that right, doctors? It's, I, still have, I still have a depressed knuckle. I mean, I would love to say that I've got a depressed knuckle because I knocked somebody out. You know, I, I was defending my wife in, a, in, a, in an honourable way. But in truth, I broke my hand and have a depressed knuckle because I lay on my arm for an hour and then tried to run away from my brother and snapped it on the back of a door handle. When you sleep, when you snooze, you do stupid things. When you snooze, you lose dignity, a knuckle. (laughs) When you snooze, when you sleep, you die. And Jesus is saying to the church in Sardis, when you snooze, you lose out. You lose out. 
you die. You need to be awake and alert because I am coming. It says in verse 3, But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know, not know at what time I will come to you. Now you remember, this is a story, this is revelation. Preparing and encouraging the people of God for the coming King. He's trying to get some urgency. Jesus is trying to get urgency into the heart of the church saying, I am coming again. Life is serious. Find some fire. Find some life. Become alive. It harks back to what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 24. Sorry, chapter 24, where he says, Therefore, keep watch. Be aware. Be alert. Be awake. Keep your eyes open because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus says, open your eyes, wake up, be aware because I'm coming at a time when you don't expect and this would have had particular, again, meaning in the context of Sardis. Because as, as I said before, it was a great city. It made a huge decline in 600 years. And it wasn't because of full-on attack. We see through its history that on a number of occasions, that the city was actually uh, attacked, not, not through a, a full-on uh, army kind of coming against it, but through subversion that actually worked their way in the army through stealth, worked their way into the city on a number of occasions and taken the city. The city had been conquered because they had failed to be awake and alert. So this spoke to the heart of the church in Sardis. Jesus says, you snooze, you lose. You snooze, you die. Church, you are dead. Find what is left and become alive again. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. It's time to wake up, church, and become aware. Jesus says, wake up. Strengthen of what remains at uh, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you received and heard, hold it fast and repent. So how do we wake up? How do we wake up from the slumber? How does Sardis wake up as a church? Well, Jesus gives them a couple of things. Their alarm clock. He gives them an alarm clock so that they can walk in life, that they can wake up. And it's firstly, it's remember what you have received. Jesus says, remember what you have received, hold it fast and repent. See, they'd forgotten what they had received. They'd forgotten the forgiveness and the freedom and the identity and the hope and the future that came with walking with Jesus. They'd forgotten that actually to be a Christian is to walk in life and light. To be a Christian is to be liberated. To be a Christian is to find an identity that is not associated with others or with a culture. That their identity was found in Christ, that they were forgiven, they were free and they had an eternity to look forward to. That is what they had. That is what we have. And Jesus says, remember what I've given you. You've forgotten. The reason that you're apathetic, the reason that you're falling asleep is because you've forgotten what I have given you. 
And see, when we remember again, I want you just to think, what was it like when you first became a Christian? You know, when you first realized that your sins were forgiven, when you first realized that actually you were free, then when you first realized that you had a hope beyond this life, can you remember? Can you remember that liberating moment when you realized that you were loved unconditionally? Remember it now. Take hold of it right now, this morning, for those of you who have, who would say that you are a Christian. Sets us free. It gives us joy, energy, excitement. See, what Jesus is saying is, you need to remember what I've given you because you need to wake up with a new joy. You need to wake up with wonder. There's a wonder in walking with me. Remember back to that survey, that last point. Two out of three people say having something exciting to look forward to helps getting up in the morning. It's true, isn't it? Kids at Christmas, I'm not even sure if they go to bed. I mean, they're so excited that they don't want to sleep. We have to wait really late before we put the stockings on and then they're up at the crack of dawn. Even before, I think, you know, it's kind of like three in the morning and they're just so excited they can't sleep because there is wonder. You know, this week, Olivia turned 11 and I, get, I got up early, whatever Thursday her birthday was, and she was already awake. I'm going, Olivia, what are you doing? She said, oh, I couldn't sleep really well, so I came out and slept in the, on the couch. I just, I wonder why I didn't say that. It's because it's her birthday. She was so excited about the day. She was excited about the gift she was going to receive. There was a, a, a wonder in her heart. Jesus is saying, you need to recover. You need to remember the wonder of walking with me, the joy and excitement of what it means to be in me. We wake up when we understand wonder. We wake up with wonder. And secondly, Jesus says, remember the task you were given. Remember what I've given you and remember the task that you've been invited into. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. They hadn't finished the task. They were a church that was called to grow and to reach out to the city of Sardis, but somewhere along the line, the comfort of the world and the world getting into their faith had meant that they hadn't finished the task. You know, I look at that pro build building at the end of Queen Street. That's already two years late. Obviously, they've had a whole bunch of finance. It's like, when in the world is that high rise going to be finished? It's like it's an unfinished task. It doesn't look good. I kind of understand it because I am a little bit of a procrastinator. Any other procrastinators? Maybe it's you know, hitting the, the snooze button about 15 times every morning might be part of that. The reality is, is that an unfinished task is an unfinished task. It hasn't been done. And Jesus is saying, I have given you purpose. You wake up when you have purpose. Come on, let's be honest. For those of you who go to work every morning, you can hit that snooze button as long as you want, but you've got to turn up at work at the time that your boss tells you to turn up. You've been given a purpose. You've, you, you actually need something to do. And that's what gets us up. What wakes us up is understanding the purpose that God has given us. He has given us a great purpose. He has given you a great purpose. You have a great 
purpose. And maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe over the past few years, maybe this past season, you've actually lost or forgotten the gifts that God has placed on your life. You know, as a church, so easy, you know, now that we're three years in, we, we forget the purpose for why we were planted. You forget the purpose for actually why you're embedded in the city and why you're committed to the community here, to the people around you and to the mission that God's called us to. We've got a purpose and we've barely scratched the surface. The task is by no means finished. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, I've given you a purpose. Wake up with that purpose because the task is not finished. So how do we get the wonder and the purpose back? How do we get that back? We need a spiritual alarm clock. You know, we actually need to build some things. We need to set some things in our life that help us, remind us of the wonder and the purpose that God has given us. We need a spiritual alarm clock. And these are things that you build into the rhythms of your life. Firstly, look back. I've already, I've already said it. Remind yourself of when you first came to faith. What has God done in your life? Where has he been faithful to you? Where has he blessed you? What are the gifts and the experiences that God has given you? That is an alarm clock to awaken wonder in your life. Now, I, I treasure the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the gift of journaling. Now, not, not everybody is writing, you know, write, you know, likes writing, but over, over the past oh, a number of years now, journaling has been a gift for me. I'm not someone who looks backwards. I just don't. Journaling forces me to ponder, to pause, to stop and reflect on what God has done. And every now and again, I'll go back through my old journals and I'll read and see the faithfulness of God. A journal for me is an alarm clock to remind me of the purpose and the wonder of God. Look back. Secondly, look now. Look now. God is wanting to do things in and through you now. He's wanting you to sit with him. He wants to speak to you. Find the wonder again in his word. And it is hard and it is a discipline at times, but there are treasures to be found that unearth joy and wonder. Spend time in his word. It's a spiritual alarm clock. Spend time in prayer. It's a spiritual alarm clock. Walking with God, talking with God, communing with God, allowing him to reveal things of who he is. Get out in creation. You want to you renew the wonder? You want to find the wonder afresh? Go out into creation, particularly if you live close to the city or in suburbia where it's just all bland and boring at times. You just look at things that people have made. Go out and see what God has made. It's way better. It's incredible. It renews the wonder. Stillness in the now. Resist and reject the narrative. You know, I talk to so many people who go, the, the pressure of life is so much at the moment. And I reflect on, on, on these things. And just the amount, I was, I've just been reflecting in the last week. We are, we are given way more information than we have ever been created to process. It overwhelms us. 
when we seek stillness, when we discipline our hearts to stillness, we hear his voice in his heart. It's an alarm clock for our spirits. Look now and then look into the future. God has called us into a mission field. Let's not forget what God has called us into. Remind ourselves, who are the people that you've been called to reach? You know, it's so easy when we've been doing church for so long, again, resting on our reputation. Oh, I've done it all. But no, no, no. His word is afresh and new every morning. We are called into things afresh and anew every day. And God is calling us afresh and anew into the mission of what he's called us to do. This has been powerful for me in the last few weeks. That there is always more. You know, we've, over this season, we've planted another service. We've now got a morning service and an evening service. That has created room. It's created more seats for more people to hear the good news of Jesus. We have a mission here to reach out to the millions of people in our nation, the millions of the people in Brisbane City who do not know Jesus, who are going to an eternal uh, death separated from Jesus forever and they need to hear the good news and God has placed us in different places to share the good news of Jesus in the schoolyard, in our workplaces, with our families, with our friends. Who are they? Remind yourself afresh. Come on. We are called to a mission. See, if we stop, if we stop looking forward, if we stop stepping into the purposes God has for us, we will fall asleep. We will. We'll fall asleep. We'll lose our passion. We'll lose our joy. God is calling us as a church. He's calling us as a people to stay on task with the mission that he's called us to in this city, in this time. Let's keep going. It's an alarm clock for us to remain and stay awake. And that's what Jesus does in this last bit of this passage. He just reminds them of actually the hope that every person has if they are faithful, if they are victorious. In verses four and five, he says this, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his Angels. Again, I love the contextual work. Jesus knows and understands the church in the city of Sardis. And so he speaks to them. In what way? Well, he speaks to them into their culture because Sardis was, it's reported, was the first city to discover, it was the city that discovered the dying of wool. And so it was, it became a, a well-known city for fabrics and for clothing, and for clothing manufacture. It was the Milan of its day. And Jesus says, those who are victorious, you will be given clothing in white. You know, there are some, Jesus says, that haven't soiled their clothes, which means there's a whole bunch that have. There's a whole bunch that have betrayed this white clothing that, that, that has been given to them. They've soiled their clothes. You've, soiled, you've ruined your clothes, but there are some. If you are victorious, if you remain faithful, you will receive a white, beautiful garment. 
And it's obvious that Jesus is saying there is something wonderful about there's something pure and clean about that. There is a significance of holiness. Even back then in worship practice, people would go to the temple dressed in white clothing. And Jesus is saying, you will be clothed in white. And we know what that looks like, right? Just the, the wonder and the glory of someone who is just dressed in white. It's why we have weddings. You know, the bride comes down dressed in radiant white. And it's wonderful. It's beautiful. We've got a photo here of Megan when I looked down the aisle. I don't normally cry. But here came this woman that was radiant and white. I could only find a black and white image. But trust me, it is white and it was radiant. It is. And I, and I, and I just, like, I, I don't cry normally, but I, I got a little emotional. There is something beautiful and radiant about white clothing and that's why brides wear it on their wedding day and Jesus is saying, I will give you a white garment. You are holy. You are perfect. You are pure. You will be my bride. And and if we map through Revelation, we get to the end where there is a wedding. The bride of Christ comes and there is a wonderful celebration. Jesus is saying that for for us, church, he's offering us white. He makes us pure. And it's not because of our work and our effort. You know this. It's because of what Jesus has done. It's his blood. As we rest on him, as we become alive and awake to who he is, he washes us clean. Theological word is he expiates us of our sin, washes us clean of our sin, and we are made holy. We are made white. That is our future. That is something that should wake us up and get us excited. That is something that should motivate us and liberate us and and spur us on. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I have come to give you life and life to the full. I want to wake you up. Church, wake up. Because I want you to be alive. Alive for me because that's my plan and my purpose for you. It's time to wake up. And it's time to share it. There are, as I said before, there are so many, there are so many who need to hear the good news of Jesus. Church, we are called not to hold it for ourselves, but to share this good news, to come alive, to be woken up and to share the good news with others. I know, as I, as I shared before, that God's called us into, into this city and, 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 and I believe that we're coming into a season again where actually we're going to see a fruitfulness for the gospel. And my prayer is that as a church, again, that we will step in. Not that we haven't, actually, but I, I'm believing and praying for a, a, new, a new move because I see the need out there. People are desperate. They're longing May we see it. May we see people come to know Jesus in new ways. May may we see new life and new joy step through the doors of this church. Celebrating the fact that we're seeing it, I want to see more of it. That we may be a church as people walk in. This is alive. We are a church that is awake. We are a church that doesn't rest on its reputation 
that we're a church that doesn't just live for our own comfort, but we are a church that lives in wonder and we're a church that lives with purpose. I want to land just as I've, I've been reflecting. I've had, had this, it's almost the song, if you know the Keith Green song, from Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And if you know the story of David, David is writing out of great guilt. Because David had become lazy. David was resting on his reputation and his power. He had become comfortable. And he sent the soldiers out to battle as they did in the Old Testament. They go out to war as the, you know, as in the springtime when the kings go out to war, as it says. But David chose to stay back in the palace. And as he is lazing about in the palace, his eyes are directed towards a certain woman, Bathsheba. And if you know the story, he invites her in. They have sex together. She's married, becomes a mess. She gets pregnant. Her husband, Uriah's out in battle. He, David gets him back and says, Uriah, once you lie with your wife, you're trying to get, you know, make it look like she's got pregnant with Uriah, but that doesn't work. Uriah says, no, 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 how can I? So David sends Uriah back out and arranges so that Uriah is killed. And then the prophet Nathan comes to David, says, David, if you know those famous words, you are that man. David, you have done this. David, you have committed adultery and you have murdered a man. Man, David would have been cancelled in our culture. <laughs> Absolutely. And in in this place, David recognises that his spirit has become lazy. He, he realises that, that he'd rested on his reputation, become comfortable, and it led to dire consequences. And so his prayer in Psalm 51 is this, Restore unto me, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy that you gave me, that you have saved me. And I reckon that's the prayer for for maybe some of us today. I know it's my prayer. That our joy, our wonder, our purpose would be restored. Because if it's not, then like David, like the church in Sardis, we will die. We'll die. Our hearts will die. We will lose our passion and our joy. And so this morning, I actually, I just love to create some space. I actually would love to create, and what's the time? We've got a bit of time. Ben, why don't you come up? Here's what I'd love us to do. I reckon as I've been praying for us today, and maybe this is out of my own place as well, is there's just weariness. This tiredness. And maybe, maybe you have been hitting the snooze button on your faith for the last season. You know, maybe, maybe it's for you, it's been, I've, there is too many other things going on. I'm exhausted. I don't have time. I'm weary. 
the whole, the, the whole faith thing, you know, I just need to, I need to put it on the back burner for the moment because, because I just don't have the capacity. And over, over, this, over this season, you've actually lost your joy. You've actually lost your wonder. You've actually lost your excitement for faith. You've actually lost your excitement for, for being in his word. You've lost your excitement for, 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 for sharing his faith. Like when you go to the workplace, the last thing you want to do is have any kind of conversation that's connected with anything to do with faith. I mean, you're just dodging and ducking because you just don't feel like you've got the capacity. You don't feel like you've got the joy. You think about church on Sunday, it's like, oh man, it's just a, it's a grind. And we do go through those seasons and that's where we choose to grab hold of purpose. We grab hold of that alarm clock and go, no, I know the turning up. I know that walking with Jesus. I know opening my word. I know prayer will actually ignite something in my heart, will give me a joy. Maybe you're in a season right now of just, I need some of that. I need that joy again. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, will you fill me afresh? Will you refresh me? Will you refresh me? Will you refresh me? Will you refresh me? Take me back. Take me back to what it was like in the beginning. I wonder whether we can stand. And I'd love to, I actually think I'd be love to minister to, to one another. It's one of the real joys of just blessing one another. And I actually think there's a stack of us here who are in that space. And it would just be a real joy to pray for you. But I'm going to invite you just to come down to the front. And then we're going to pray for one another. I'm going to pray for you. So if that's you, just right now, can I just invite you just to step out from where you are? You just want to be refreshed. That's, that, that's, that's what I'm inviting you to do. Your joy, your excitement, your wonder in faith afresh. Just step out from where you are. Come on, right down. Join me down the front. Come on, step out from where you are. Come on. Refresh me. Give me joy. Come on. You know that there's more. It's awesome. Thanks so much for coming forward. Anyone, I I just, I don't want to, I'm not going to manipulate this at, at all. This is for you. This is not me. Anyone else, you just know there's new joy. There's new joy. There's something you've lost in this season. Intimacy, joy, and excitement. You're hitting snooze on your faith in the moment, hitting that snooze button. Anyone else? Dennis, can I just get you to come forward and move across? All right, we're going we're gonna to sing in a minute. Just a song, Awake My Soul. That God would wake us up afresh. Love just to do that. And then I'm going to invite people to pray for you guys who've come down the front. If there's anyone else, you just want to come just as we sing this, the first part of this song, just come. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know. 